Psalm 74, verse 9, I think this is the fourth in the series, Our Signs. And um, this morning, you're going to get the eighth sign. Hallelujah. And uh, the signs of the church, the signs of the body of Christ. While you're looking it up, Psalm 74 and verse 9, I began January, <clears throat> the very first Sunday in January, preaching on the body of Christ. I don't know if you remember, but we were planning to launch um, in February our house gatherings, and God's been blessing them. But they were planned, they were prayed for, and we're continuing to pray over them. And to support the idea of our house gatherings and growth, I decided to set aside time to minister on the body of Christ. What is church? What is the body of Christ? From a practical standpoint, and, and to preach what the Lord was saying right now to our church. And so I say that because I want you to hear this as a word that is coming from God to you, to us collectively and to you individually, as to how to function in the body of Christ. So we're, even though we've changed the titles of some of these series and we're more than halfway into the year, our signs is a message about the signs of the church. What God wants to see through us, these things are we're calling our signs. So Psalm 74 verse 9, the prophet cries out, we do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, in other words, this is going to last. Where are the prophets that can tell us why we're in this desert place? Where have our signs gone? How can we get them back? So that was what Psalm 74 was all about. And that was certainly true of Israel in the day that the psalmist wrote this. But in many churches, this could be true today of us. The fact is that the church in the book of Acts, the church that the Holy Spirit gave birth to on the day of Pentecost, beginning with a, a core group of 120 disciples who in obedience to Jesus went to the upper room to wait. Before they went out to preach, he said, go wait until you have been endued with power from on high. And so they gathered in that upper room and they waited. And they waited many days on the presence of the Lord. Now, they weren't playing board games while they were up there waiting and, and ordering pizza. Um, they were praying and seeking. They were bringing themselves into alignment with the Lord. You see, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And if I could put a little plug in, that, that 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes before our church service begins is set aside, sanctified, if you will, if I could use a spiritual terminology, for us to seek the face of the Lord. So I just want to remind everybody that uh, I know sometimes we go over the time, the band's rehearsing, it goes a little long, but when those lights go out, our conversation should stop, and our conversation with Jesus should begin. So I, I'm, I want to remind all of you, please, let's hold all that talk and fellowship for after the service. We need to, we really need to have conversation with Jesus before the church service begins so that we're aligned and ready and uh, so that we're not just charging into the church service unfocused and unlined up. You know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. And so, glory to God. Uh, the, the, the church in the book of Acts 
had waited upon the Lord, the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. Well, the church of the book of Acts came with signs immediately when the Holy Spirit fell and uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a number of things began to take place from that moment forward. And these were calling the signs, the signs of the church. They were indications that God was in the house, that God was in this house. This wasn't just some gathering of uh, followers of Jesus, but the Lord was manifesting among them. First Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may show forth, now in the King James it says, show forth the praises. In other more modern translations it says, show forth the excellencies or show forth the virtues. Show forth the praises, the excellencies, the virtues of he who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are called beloved, we are called to be a, a people possessed by God. So when we gather together, I know we, we have a, a lot of ex, uh, you know, experiences throughout the week and things are going on in our lives and we love to fellowship about them. But our gathering together, when we come together, something supernaturally called the embassy of heaven ought to take place. And it should overrule everything else that's going on. And God should be in the house. And when he is in the house, certain signs make themselves evident. Certain things start to happen. They should be happening. These are the signs of the church. The Bible says we are a people for God's own possession so that we might show forth the excellencies of he who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, these signs tell the world who we are. It's not the sign out in front of the church that's supposed to, we don't want to rely on that sign, faith, Christian church, you know, such and such type of church or whatever, denominational signs. Those aren't the signs that tell the world what they are. They're just the signs that tell the world what kind of religious institution you've got. But there are certain signs that are God's signature upon us. And that signature is either faded and can't be seen or it's prominent and people can see it. These signs are all what come together to form the signature of God upon us. They tell the world who we belong to, not just who we are as an institution, but who we belong to. See, church is all about being owned by Jesus. It's called the head. I mean, it's called the body. Jesus is the head, the bride. He's the groom. It's all about our relationship with God. It's not a place where people come in and we talk about our relationship with God. It's a, it's a place where we gather together and experience our relationship with God. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And if we are not seeing these signs today, we shouldn't continue to just go rolling down the hill in the same old direction without our signs we should stop and cry out to God, Lord, <clears throat> where are our signs? Return them to us. Bring us back to a place where we see those signs moving in me. So we should be crying out to God. All right, number eight, sign number eight. Here it is, going to devote the whole message this morning to this sign because it's, well, they're all important, but 
This sign is called the sign of preaching. Everyone say preaching. preaching. Now, Acts chapter 5, right after the Holy Spirit fell, in verse 42 it says, And every day, notice it doesn't say Sunday, every day, everyone say every day. Every day. And every day in the temple, at church, and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So, can I say to you this morning that suddenly, as the Holy, Holy Spirit fell, preaching popped out. And I want you to kind of see it like that. The Holy Spirit fell on the church, preaching popped out. And it didn't stop popping out, just didn't pop out once in a while. It didn't pop out and say, do me on Sunday. The Bible says every day, and not just in church, but from house to house, they kept preaching. Now, I want you to notice the word they. It doesn't say, and the ministers kept preaching. It says they. Who is they? They's everybody. <laughs> they's everybody. Now, the problem is that today we have a certain definition formed in our mind about what preaching is. And today we tend to look at preaching as a learned skill. Matter of fact, we send young men and young women to school to learn how to preach. And sometimes you can tell who so-and-so's learned under. <laughs> Just by checking out their style. Have you ever wondered why all preachers seem to, they, there's about five or a half dozen different styles. And everybody tends to fit under them. You can see where they kind of came from. That's because today we think preaching is a learned skill. But we forget that real gospel preaching is supernatural. True preaching is one of the signs of the church. Can I tell you that for those couple thousand years before the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, nobody ran around and preached. All that Old Testament stuff, Israel, there were no preachers. No one was running around preaching. They would teach and give instruction. Prophets would occasionally come, thus says the Lord, and prophesy. But the, the preaching, the word preach means to declare, to proclaim the good news. Preaching. Well, there wasn't any good news to proclaim. They were hoping God was going to do something. The prophets kept prophesying God's going to do something. But God hadn't done it yet. Even though there were some miracles and deliverances and some indications that God occasionally was with them, there was no preaching before the day of Pentecost. Before Jesus came, there was no preaching. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John and the disciples out of their boats and away from their work and said, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he was saying, I am calling you to go preach. And he said, I want you to go into all these villages and preach, declare, proclaim the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is here. Healing's here. Deliverance is here. Good news is here. And so they went around and did all that. And as they were preaching, God was backing up what they were saying with signs and wonders. And the reason they were signs and wonders, people wondered why they'd never seen it before. Eyes were opening, lame people walking. I mean, you could see the signature of God. God was in the house, even before the day of Pentecost. So when the Holy Spirit fell, it says they all 
preached every day, everywhere. Every day, everywhere. Every day, everywhere. They preached. So the Holy Ghost falls in, preaching pops out. Preaching does not come from talent. It can be helped by education, but preaching doesn't come from education. Listen, preaching doesn't even come from human zeal. It's not someone who got themselves all worked up and they ran out there preaching. Even though you feel zeal, the zeal of the Lord, even though it doesn't hurt to know what you're saying, preaching, you know, um, at any rate, but the fact is that preaching doesn't come from any of those sources. Preaching comes and is produced by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just like any other miracle, preaching is produced through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, <clears throat> Paul referred to preaching in a couple of different terms, and one of the ones he used to like to use was utterance. And in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul says, And pray for me that words may be given to me. And that, that word in the English Standard Version, words, in the King James translates it utterance, the speaking of words, having words to speak and the power to speak them. So Paul says, pray for me that words that can be uttered will be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel and declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Now, you need to understand that the Apostle Paul was a highly trained man. Number one, man had college education. He had plenty to say. He was a very opinionated man, so he had a lot of natural zeal. And he had a lot that he, if it was just a matter of getting up and preaching to crowds, Paul probably had been doing that most of his adult life. Sounds like he was probably doing it from the time he was a teenager. So here's this man with education, with zeal, with plenty to say, begging the church in Ephesus, please pray for me that I might preach. So, and when he describes preaching, he says that it may be given to me, that words may be given to me. That's why preaching isn't just go running through the Bible, find a cool thought, and then get up and, and explain it to people. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not preaching. And I want, you to, I want you to understand there's a unique manifestation of the Spirit that is one of the primary signs of the church called preaching. Do you know there's some, preach, there's some churches that haven't preached in years, but their doors are open at least once a week. Some, there are thousands of Christians who file into church that have never heard preaching, not real preaching. And preaching, as I said, is not a skill. So we're not talking about a man who's red-faced, popping sweat, and spinning a hanky around, running up and down in front of the church, hollering at everybody. That, that is style. But that style is not, preaching is not style. A very mild person could stand up in a, in a voice that needed a big microphone and preach a house of fire. That has nothing to do with style. And I don't want to break down the elements of what constitutes preaching because I'm not teaching this morning. I kind of want to teach a little bit, but I want to preach this 
to your spirit. Preaching is a proclamation. It is a declaration. It's less concerned with explaining everything and focused on inserting it into your spirit. The preacher is sending like a spear, like an arrow, like the sword of the spirit, a word into the into the heart of his hearers. He's not so concerned about your head getting it all. He or she is delivering a proclamation from God. That's preaching. And they weren't able to do that before the Holy Spirit came because the words have to be given to you by God. It's supernatural. Can you say amen? Now, a lot of people, when they don't have preaching, We'll get up and just open the Bible and they'll preach, but you'll be like, there's no, there's no life in it. There's nothing there. So there's, there's what we call preaching, and then there's preaching. Somebody say amen if you're beginning to get what I'm saying to you. Now, let me, because uh, I've already touched on this, so let me, let me develop one thought with you, and that is that preaching isn't teaching. You can learn from preaching. When God is speaking, you can learn a lot. You can learn more from preaching than you can teaching, oftentimes, when it's real, real preaching, if you listen to the Holy Spirit. But preaching isn't teaching. You see, teaching is explaining. Preaching is proclaiming. Explaining, proclaiming. How many of you know you need both? I need things explained, but I need to have what God is saying proclaimed into my heart. So explaining furnishes me with understanding, but proclaiming presents me with a decision. They are two entirely different things because they have two different objectives. The objective of teaching is to give you understanding. But there are many people who walk around full of understanding and never make a decision about what they understand. That's where preaching comes in. Preaching doesn't furnish understanding. Its objective is to confront you with the opportunity to decide. Decide this day whom you will serve. Amen? Do you remember? That's what Joshua did. That's what Elijah did. That's what John the Baptist did. Decide this day. If you are on the Lord's side, then stand here. If you're not, then stand here. I, I have no more explaining to do. You've heard enough. There's enough explanation. It's now your turn to make a decision, make a choice. That's preaching. That's preaching. Preaching opens the door for people to decide. You know, most people that don't move forward in areas of their life and they're praying that God would open a door and help them move forward, they are waiting to hear something that's going to give them more understanding. They think, if I understand this a little better, then I'll make a decision. But people can be ever learning and never make a decision. And so while oftentimes we think, I need to learn more, I need to hear more before I can make a decision, sometimes you're just trapped in that turnstile of endless listening and endless teaching and explaining. And what you need to do is you need to get out of that loop and just decide, this day I am going 
to acknowledge the Lord. This day I'm going to obey God. This day I'm going to go forth and do what he said. Preaching brings people to a place of decision because it's proclaiming. Having said that, 1 Corinthians 1.21, magnificent verse. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliantly crafted verse that God has given us in the Bible that explains the unique power of preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Let me pause for a moment. He is setting up an observation that's absolutely true. You need to understand that observation before what he's about to say is going to make sense to you. He says that God created the world through his wisdom. When you look at nature and you think it's just magnificent of how everything goes together and how your body was formed and how the universe was, it's just amazing. But there is a, there are a billion, billion, billion threads of order and wisdom and thought that connect everything. And so... He's saying that the world was created through the wisdom of God. However, however, in that the wisdom of God created the world, the world, that's uh, now he's speaking of us, through wisdom does not know God. We fell into sin, and even though we're standing in a universe created by wisdom, we are looking and we're blind and we do not understand what we're looking at. So the world, by wisdom, does not know God. And that's absolutely true. And so it says, after that, uh, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God said, they're never going to get saved through wisdom. Because even if in their minds they think, wow, I've thought this all the way through, there must be a God, only a God could do that. That still doesn't save anybody. There's no decision in that. There's just, oh, I now know more than I knew before. Or I've got a little clearer opinion about things. But the Bible says that it pleased God through the foolishness of proclaiming the good news to save those that are lost. The foolishness of preaching is what saves people. Nobody gets saved without preaching. Let me say it again. Nobody gets saved without preaching. Some form of preaching has to take place. And if I could distill that down just a little further, let me say to you that preaching is the voice of life, piercing the shroud of death that hangs over unbelievers' hearts. There's a, there's a death shroud that entombs the hearts of unsaved people. And wisdom cannot penetrate that dark shroud. But the proclamation of the Word of God does. Can I... Without being too overly dramatic, can I say to you that when the Word of God is, is truly preached, when real preaching goes forth, it is a sharp two-edged sword of the Spirit. And it will pierce 
through that dark veil of death that hangs over unbelievers' hearts. Because true preaching simply says, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Lamb of God. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. And that fact is proclaimed with the power of the Spirit of God into the heart. And people who may have been an atheist like I was, or an agnostic, or, or just filled with all kinds of attitudinal difficulties and stumbling blocks and problems and such and bad habits and uh, hate church and, uh, you know, we're offended by Christians and never going to darken the doorway of a church again and blah, 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 blah all day long. When they hear the Word of God truly preached, it's God, the I Am, parting the curtain, stepping into their soul, saying, I am the agape, I am love, I am salvation, and I am here for you. Amen. Amen. All the arguments now lose their validity. They don't matter. That lost soul now knows God is speaking to me. Choose to accept or reject it. There it is. There's no, there's no need for more explanation, no need for more wisdom. You see, God is speaking through that preaching. If you and I would just be focused, determined, and bold, if we would believe in the gift of preaching, if we would believe in the true preaching of the gospel and do it, rather than trying to show people, you know, look how cool I am and I'm a Christian, and instead of trying to influence people, if I just be real nice to them and we do all, and we'll do anything but preach the gospel to people. They won't get saved through any of those other things. It is the preaching of the gospel that opens and pierces the death shroud hanging over the hearts of unbelievers. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Let me go on and uh, share another point with you. If preaching's just for ministers, specially called people, um, then we're in big trouble. If they're the only people that have that gift or can, can preach, then, then we really are in serious, serious trouble. But let me tell you, preaching isn't just for ministers. The Bible says they were all filled, they were all filled, and preached the Word of God. Everywhere they went, morning, noon, and night, wherever they were, they preached, and the Bible says they ceased not to preach. We don't start to preach, but they ceased not to preach. Now, they got 3,000 people saved on Tuesday, another 5,000 the next Thursday, and on and on it went. Well, why do you think all that happened? They ceased not to preach. The Christians weren't gathering saying, oh, I hope the pastor gets here quick. We need to, there's a crowd. We need to get some preaching going. No. It's absolutely wrong. Not right. That is not the way it works. The Christians, they were all, what was it that made them preach? I told you in the beginning. Baptism in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost fell in, preaching popped out. 
Come on now. You know when you are and when you get down on your face and you start praying and you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you feel like running around and preaching to somebody. Sometimes you run around your living room and preach to yourself. I know you do. I know I do too. Preaching starts stirring up within you. Again, it's preaching's not limited to a skill. You don't have to have this great education. You don't have to have this oratory style. It's just telling what the gospel says. Hallelujah. Now, Holy Ghost is not a fool. You can't get up and preach a bunch of nonsense. Because it's not, it won't be preaching. You can't turn a lot of silly uh, religious ideas adapted to suit political correctness. You can't adapt the gospel of Jesus Christ and distill it down into something you think people are going to relate to and expect God to turn it into preaching. You can get up and talk and yell and run around and say all kinds of stuff you want, illustrations, memes, whatever you want. No anointing, nobody's going to get saved. Nothing. But if you have a backbone instead of a wishbone, if you're willing to give them what Jesus said, not ashamed, not backed down, not backed up, and do it in love, preaching will come forth. Hallelujah. And it works through every Christian, everybody, even shy Christians. Guess what? Even Christians who sinned on Tuesday. Even Christians who haven't, haven't uh, <coughs> been uh, as spiritual lately as they should have been. Because preaching comes from the Holy Spirit. You're a vessel. Let me tell you what it takes to be a vessel. It takes faith. Not your holiness, not your perfection. Should you walk in holiness? Absolutely. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. But preaching is not your testimony of your spiritual perfection. Your preaching doesn't depend on how perfect you are. The power and effectiveness of your preaching isn't determined by how obedient you've been. Because you're not proclaiming yourself. You're proclaiming Jesus. Believe me. He's good enough. He's been good all week long. Hallelujah. So, preaching's not just for ministers. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And then how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard. And then how shall they hear without a preacher? Notice it doesn't say how shall they hear without a teacher. How shall they hear without a preacher? And then the last one is where we get you. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Here's where we get confused. We think, I have to be called to preach. That's partially true in that preaching comes from the call of God. But when we think of being called to preach, we think of life vocation. We think of God calling someone into the ministry for their life, 
the call of God that separates a man or a woman to serve God in some ministry capacity for the rest of their life. But where does that leave the rest of the Christians? Every one of us for the rest of our life are to be a witness for Jesus. When God filled you with the Holy Ghost, did He give you a different Holy Ghost than He gave the Apostle Paul? No. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, the Scripture says. And so, the sending comes through the Holy Spirit. It says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Well, the baptism in the Holy Spirit produces sending. Do you ever notice how when you got filled with the Holy Ghost, you wanted to run around and do stuff for God? Yeah. Simplest way I could put it. You know, I was an atheist. I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to do or be as a Christian, but I was certain that Jesus lived in my heart, and I had started to read the Bible. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, the whole world was different to me, and I was different. And all of a sudden, there was a force in me trying to jump out, trying to preach. There was a motivation in me to go and do things for God, to preach the gospel and to say things and do things. You say, yeah, well, you were called to preach. No, no, no. I was being sent. Every Christian gets filled with the Holy Ghost, gets ascending. You are sent. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've received sending. You receive the Spirit of God, you receive sending. It's the Spirit that sends us. Now, we get sent in different ways. And how far we get sent may be, may be different. But the fact is, every one of us has sending. And so, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Every one of you who are filled with the Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit, you have the sending anointing. You have all it takes to preach. Perhaps all you lack is the desire to do it. And you should stir that up within yourself. You say, oh, I, I need more of the Spirit move in my life. You just need to have compatible feelings with the feelings of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wants to preach. So if you're willing to put yourself in the hands of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I want you to use me. I'd like to preach through you. Well, Lord, not through me. Well, I need people to get saved. Nobody's going to get saved unless you preach to them. Glory to God. Let me, um, let me talk about this desire to preach. Where has the desire to preach gone? Increasingly, numbers of young Christians seek ministry positions today, such as musicians. Everyone wants to be in the praise band. Uh, entertainers, community workers, administrators, computer technicians. There's all kinds of, of ministry-related work that young Christians are really interested in doing and being involved with. But it seems like we have a declining number of young men and women who want to preach. The desire to preach seems to have left the church. Where are all the Christians who want to preach? Everybody wants to star in a movie for Jesus. Everyone wants to sing for Jesus or play music for Jesus or... Uh, go create things on the computer for Jesus or be an athlete for Jesus. But none of those things that I've mentioned or any that you could think of are going to lead a single person to Jesus. They might make them think about Jesus. You can educate through those things. You can get people's attention through those things. But when it gets down to the moment of salvation, 
it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost. Where has the desire to preach gone? Where is the desire? Knowing that without preaching, very few people are really going to come to Jesus. Why aren't there more Christians praying the desire to preach upon themselves? Before you get bummed out and think this is a condemning question, I have to say that I think maybe one of the biggest reasons is that mistakenly many of us have been just taught, I think unwittingly, just through the tradition of how church works, that we are unqualified to teach, that only certain people, based on everything, I don't want to re-preach everything I've said up to this point, but, but based on what we think preaching is, many of us don't feel like it's our job. We, do, we don't feel qualified to preach. And so many people just, just sort of dampen down, shut down, dull down, if you will, any desire to preach. And they think, well, that's, that's not me. That's, that's not my job. That's not my ministry. But that's based on a mistaken identity that only certain people who are, quote, called to the ministry are the ones who are qualified to preach. I've already said what qualifies you to preach. Hallelujah. But now let me bring up another point that I think is also a factor in the declining interest in preaching. Preaching, preaching the gospel, doesn't fit today's culture of political correctness. In fact, preaching of the gospel, whereas a few, not too many generations ago, was considered even by people who didn't receive Jesus as the Lord as an honorable practice. And people liked it. Yes. People like, there were, there were people that loved to go to camp meetings and tent revivals and sit under the preaching. But they had no intention of deciding. They just wanted to feel that. They couldn't put their finger on what it was, but they wanted to feel that thing they felt, God knocking at the door. Without editorializing, I just simply want to say that in today's culture of political correctness, defiant sinners recoil in offense at the gospel. Therefore, many Christians have simply backed off and abandoned preaching. They don't want to offend because people find it offensive. If you are confronted, what does preaching do? It confronts with decisions. People feel they are above or they're just such, such butterflies that they cannot take the bruising, crushing pressure of being brought to a decision. It is the ultimate invasion of a person's personal space to ask them to make a decision about anything. And unfortunately, we raise our children today sheltering them from confrontation, sheltering them from decisions, sheltering them from the very concept or idea that there are consequences and one must choose a path. And so increasingly, those that are the architects of modern culture have determined that preaching is offensive. So, the fact that cultural trendsetters have rejected the gospel 
has caused many Christians to misread that as a sign that everyone has rejected the gospel. I want you to hear very carefully what I'm about to say to you. Just because a few people who set the cultural trends in society have, have with the, the, the megaphone and the amplifier of social media and television and education and experts and politicians have proclaimed out over the society, we reject the offensiveness of confrontation, the offensiveness of preaching. Do not let that convince you that everybody feels that way. They don't speak for anyone but themselves. Don't believe for one minute that the whole world doesn't want to hear the gospel anymore. Trust me, millions and millions and millions of people out there, they're sitting under the influence of those Facebook trendsetters too. But in their heart, they need to hear the word and want to hear it. So don't misread what a few trendsetters who, are, who have, have chosen to reject the the gospel, don't let them talk you into the idea that everybody's rejected the gospel because it just is not true. But too many Christians who are concerned with their own popularity among sinners have abandoned preaching because they see it as ineffective at winning modern people. They think we can't win these modern people with preaching because they, they get offended. So we have to find more clever ways of doing that. You know what that is? That's Satan stealing your best tool. That's what that, that is Satan robbing the tool that works. My goodness, all the devil has to do to shut down the church is to convince you that society's moved beyond preaching. But you gotta find other ways. And because if you don't believe in preaching, the devil does. Trust me, Satan believes in preaching. He knows that that is the sword that will pierce the shroud of death over the unbeliever's heart. He knows it will. And he wants you to lay that sword at his feet. He wants you to stop preaching. He wants you to seek to just double down on being nice to people. And double down to being relevant with sinners and double down on showing them how, 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 even though you're a Christian, how normal you are. That train left the station. And I'm not even sure that, you know, I like the fact that sinners are a little afraid of me. I like it when they don't know what, what's he going to do. He's a little weird. If they got a bad opinion, I almost like that sometimes. I, 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 I worry that the unsaved are going to wrap their arms around me and go, he's just one of us. He, he's just a fuzzy bear. We just like him. Well, we relate to him. He relates to us. There's no difference between him and us. That but bothers me. I, I feel like if I don't get some pushback and get the, the, the preaching of the gospel out there, 
You see, you've got to be willing to live as a testimony for Jesus Christ. You know I'm not talking about being obnoxious or being difficult. But you should live first as a preacher of the gospel than anything else. That should be the thing that above everything else drives you in your relationship. Someone say amen. amen. You know, we need Christians who are alive enough to the burning love of God and dead enough to the pressures of political correctness to sail out into God's harvest and throw out the lifeline of truth. Amen. Why are our ships tied to the docks? Why are we not sailing out into the harvest? We need to be alive enough to that burning agape and dead enough to the pressure of political correctness. If you're too alive to political correctness, what are the political postures of the day? What are the political popular positions to take? Oh, I'm so afraid if I said what I really, what the gospel really says. You get what I'm saying. If you're too worried about that, you can't preach. One of the things that in, in thinking about preaching that I've realized is that you have to be absolutely dead on focused on Jesus. You lower your focus from Him and become issue-oriented or, or become, uh, you know, socially driven and you can't preach. No preaching can come from that. You cannot preach until your vision is back on Jesus. That's where the fearlessness comes from. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the power to, to cut the captives free from their chain and bring them to the Lord. If you're not willing to preach the gospel to someone's heart and then have them say, you're a total nut. You're, you know, I, don't ever tell me that again. Or, or have them completely reject you. If you're not willing to do that, you're not ready to preach. You need to go back on your knees and pray, Lord, help me get to the place where I'm not worried about people accepting me or rejecting me. I want to bring the gospel, and I believe with all my heart, if I truly bring the gospel, it'll touch hearts, because it's the agape love of God. Help me to be an instrument of God's love. You know, help me to be characteristic in my presentation of the love of God. Jesus was gentle. He was wonderful. He was loving. People could see what he was saying in the way he said what he did. Wrapping up, let me just say that, as I said already, we don't need a formal education in order to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. Preaching is the spiritual homing beacon for lost hearts. If we would get it out and preach the gospel, those lost hearts lost at sea would pick up that homing signal and begin to move towards, towards God. Remember this, man thinks with his head, but he decides with his heart. Preaching cuts to the heart. You can save a lot of time and a lot of stress if you just get bold, stop trying to convince people, and preach to their heart. Then, dis then their heart has something to act upon. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together. 
I'd like us closing this morning to make this one focus. Lord, stir in me the desire to preach. In whatever form God wants that to take in your life, just know that there is no restriction against you preaching. You don't have to be the pastor to preach. You don't have to be a house group, home gathering leader to preach. You don't have to be living a perfect life to preach. You just have to have the Holy Spirit, have Jesus in your heart, and let His love move you towards the lost. Believe me, He will use you to preach the gospel to others. You don't have to pray a certain amount. You don't have to read enough. By the way, when you pray in your prayer life and devotional life, when you read the Bible, if you were actively putting yourself in the hands of the Lord saying, Lord, I want to preach the gospel to my friends. Now, that doesn't mean I want to be a sermonizer to my friends. Sinners don't need a sermon. You can preach literally in 45 seconds, less than. You can preach enough for a person to get saved in one minute. You know that's true, don't you? You just, you can't preach without praying. You've got to pray first. God will give you what to say. Pray, the Holy Ghost will rise. Remember, fill with the Spirit. Spirit drops in, preaching pops out. Hallelujah. It's when we're not praying that you get long sermons. Something to think about. The more you pray, the less you pontificate, the more you'll preach. And so what I want you to do is I want you to know that if you would go before the Lord, if you would say, I want to preach to people and lead them to you, Lord, I want to preach. Then when you pray, then when you read your Bible, you'll have a reason to do it. You have a reason to do it. You're not just reading and endlessly learning and just to maintain your emotional status, but you're now seeking God as a vessel. And he'll use you. He'll use you. Buddy, let me tell you, he will use you. I'll just give you this testimony and then we're going to pray. This brother that I'm going to talk about for a second, has, he passed on a number of years ago. You don't know him. He was a member of our church in Connecticut for many, many years. He was a gay hairdresser. And we were looking sharp when he, while he was alive. Let me tell you, he got around. Everybody would use him. He cut a lot of heads. And he was a great guy, man. That guy got saved. And I can tell you this right now, and I, and I want to say, because it's part of the testimony, he struggled with that homosexuality the whole time he was with us. Struggled with it the whole time. I, I'm not saying, it's not for me to say that he was out having relationships or anything like that. I, I think he really fought it, but he struggled. It wasn't one of these deals where it's like, boom, got saved, and he no longer has any of those desires. But let me tell you something. That man preached the gospel just about every day in his chair, cutting heads. He drug more people into our church than I think any minister that ever visited our church. He got more people saved, brought more people to Jesus, who got saved, stayed saved, became members of our church. So when I talk to you about preaching, I want to demystify 
the idea that you've got to have some kind of credential, some level of perfection. Again, I'm not trying to drag down the standard of holiness. I hope you get that. I don't, you get the, the point. But I'm trying to lift up your faith as to how God can use you. I don't want to say he was a gay hairdresser. I just want to say he was an overcomer that had come out of that, come out of that lifestyle. And the, but the day he went to be with the Lord and, and we lost him, we lost one of the greatest evangelists. And no one ever called him evangelist. He didn't have a ministry. His ministry was cutting hair. But boy, I tell you, buddy, he brought more people. Not just Jesus got him in. He was like a the Pied Piper leading all these Ladies in the church, they just loved him. So you get the idea? Praise the Lord. I, I pray the Lord will turn you into him in, with certain limitations. Hallelujah. Wherever you are at in your life, may the Lord turn you into a preacher from house to house and every day. Father God, we just say thank you. Preaching comes from the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, launch us. I pray that everyone that hears this message will be stirred to go on their face and say, what am I doing? I need to preach. One of the signs of the church that says God is in the house is real preaching. And sometimes Lord's services go by and there's not been 30 seconds of preaching. Precious Savior, make us a preacher. Send us into the world, Lord, to be a witness, not by showing what we can do, but by proclaiming the eternal gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Put your hand over your heart. Let's say this together. Lord, this heart which you have given me decides today I will be a preacher of righteousness. In whatever way I am able through your abilities I will proclaim Jesus to the people you send me. Thank you, Father. Help me to keep this vision before my face and not let it diminish. In Jesus' name, amen.